You're listening to the Queer Yid Podcast, where we share the stories of LGBTQ Jews from religious backgrounds. My name is Hannah Peterson, and today I'm speaking with Josh Rose, a writer and charity program manager who lives in London. In this episode, Josh and I talk about his experience becoming more involved with orthodoxy as a young teen growing up in Manchester, and how realizing he was gay came to impact his relationship with Judaism. In addition to his blog, where you can find his writing linked in the description below, Josh is the author of a short film, TV show, and book. He hopes to one day use his craft to tell positive, queer stories on screen and in print. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Josh. All right, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So let's start from the top. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up, what kind of community you were raised in? Cool, yeah. So I am from Manchester, um, which is obviously in the north of England. And I sort of grew up in Unsworth between the ages of, I guess, birth and eight years old. Um, and so Jewish life was really just walking to shul with my dad every week, every, every Shabbos, um, with my sisters and my dad. It would take us about 40 minutes to walk there. Um, I just sort of used to go for the sweets and like on the food and then walk 40 minutes back and then we'd just be at home with my parents. It was, there was no like Yiddish guy. There was no, there was no like Shabbos lunch or anything. It was just, I mean, we'd have Friday night dinner, I think. Um, but that was about it. And then when I was eight, we moved to Whitefield, which is much more of a Jewish community. So we lived like, two minutes away from the shore um, we were much more involved in like the interest in the Jewish community uh, I started going to BA B'nai Kiva um, which I really hated um, from day one um, I did that for years actually and my sisters as well but I, I, they may have dropped out before me and then uh, so yeah that's sort of it really um, I guess it's sort of a weird mix between sort of some sort of secular life and then also some sort of modern orthodoxy as well and obviously and then it is sort of mostly centered around tradition um i guess like a lot of english jews mm -hmm. were you in jewish schools so yeah i went to jewish primary school and jewish secondary school mm -hmm. so from the beginning it was very much lots of jewish friends like all the Jewish, like all the holidays we knew all about, like all the information was there. Um, I will say like in, in terms of level, level ability of reading Hebrew, for me was very much low. Um, but apart from that, like the actual knowledge of like Jewish history was very much there. And yeah, from, from primary school to high school, um, it was all Jewish mm -hmm. friends and Jewish studies and Jewish everything. I know that it's always sort of hard to answer these questions about the world that you grew up in, but did you find that life meaningful? Um, were there elements of Jewish tradition or practice that stood out to you as something that you really connected to? I think tradition, definitely. Never the actual, like, the actual meaningful part of Judaism, you know, the foundation, the connection to God was never really there for me. And I remember like one Yom Kippur, 
like protested and was eating crisps. And my friend Adam <laughs> will never let me forget about that. Well, one Yom Kippur, because <laughs> I was just <laughs> very against it. And um, I used to always get really sick on Yom Kippur as well as a child. Like, I don't know, it was like that day every year, I'd always get really sick. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe that's some weird omen for the future. But um, didn't connect to that, but very much the traditional side. I mean, Friday night dinners at my grandparents' house, Seder at various cousins' houses. I mean, that to me was what Judaism was about and, and still is. I mean, it's it's those memories, um, the tradition as opposed to the actual sort of, you know, the, the main sort of body of religion. And also, which sounds really, I mean, it might not sound silly, but to me, um, I really connected to like the... Uh, the history through like entertainment for lack of a better word so the, like the music and the films i mean even so the end of last year i mean i'm not religious at all now but i was watching fiddle on the roof and it's just like you can't help but feel really connected to like the core of judaism when you watch that film at least i mean maybe that's just me but um when i when i you know i've been to the kotel a few times and i've never really had that like that core feeling that people talk about for me it comes from listening to like just some really so like Ofra Hazza singing something or, mm. or watching Fiddle on the Back but I think that's just how I connect with things anyway as a, as a person so that to me is a really great way of connecting to Judaism and then also like I said you know the family memories and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay so you grow up in this modern orthodox world um mm-hmm. sort of one foot in the secular but very much ensconced in the jewish community yeah um where does your queer story start it's so interesting because i speak about being gay all the time and i actually write about it more than i speak about it because yeah much better at writing than speaking but the religious and the jewish side of it never really factors in so it's really weird to like have it flipped around during this conversation and I actually wrote uh, I have a blog and I wrote in my last one about my first crush which I only really remembered about last year and I was eight eight years old and I was moving when I hadn't was moving house and from Unsworth to Whitefield we had these builders because we literally moved into a building site and the house was not ready to be lived in but we lived in it anyway (laughs) and and there was this builder, he must have been like 18, 19 years old. And I obviously just fancied him, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that until a few months ago. I just was like, would follow him around and like always ask him annoying questions. And he let me like break, like there was a step at the back of the house and he let me like smash the sledgehammer down on it. And I just was obsessed with him. And he was obviously my first, my first crush. I mean, he must have been my first crush. That's my first memory. Um, so that's like my first memory of, of, I guess, being like having gay feelings, but obviously not having no idea what that was at the time. Mm-hmm. And then throughout high school, it was very much sort of at the back of my head. It's really difficult to describe because people are like, did you always know? And that sort of thing. And it's really difficult if you haven't experienced it to really to put it into words that, yes, it was there because of course I knew how I felt but that fear and sort of the the brain's ability to push something so deep down into denial that even though you know it's there logically 
you still carry on as if it's not. And so like, I still, you know, wanted um, a girlfriend. I wanted to get married to, to a girl, to a Jewish girl, all these things. Um, even though I knew deep down that I was gay, I just never said that out loud until my twenties because I was so scared of it. So yeah, I guess like a lot of queer people just a really um, difficult relationship to my, to, to being, to being gay in my teens for sure. And I, and I've written about that a lot as well. I don't want to sort of keep going on about the same things, but, um, but you know, I, I used to have this, um, these rules. So like when I was in sort of year nine to 12, so what age is that? Like 14, 15, 16, I used to say to myself, like this year, you're going to make your voice sound less gay. You're not going to bite your nails in like in a gay way make sure you're not standing with your hand on your hip, like all these rules to make myself seem to seem more straight. And then if I didn't like achieve that, then there would be some sort of like, not like physical punishment. I never sort of self-harmed, but I would, I would, I would definitely feel that like self-hatred. At that point, did you have a name for those feelings? Like, were you able to say like, that's gay or I, I don't want to be gay or... No, no, I mean, I think the denial was so strong. It was just like, and, and I was so scared of it that putting any sort of name on it was just w- way too real. So it was very much right at the back of my head, locked away in the deepest closet. <laughs> so then how did you know that those were behaviors that you shouldn't, quote unquote, be doing? I mean, just from society. I mean, you know, people people making comments um, and just being aware myself. I mean, I would also like take the nick out of people because, you know, I was, you know, everyone's insecure. So you're taking the nick out of anything you see to sort of deflect from you. Um, you know, what you see on TV and um, watching Will and Grace or seeing people, like seeing someone really gay um, in the media. I used to have, again, I've written about this, I used to have this, this like, I stole a blank workbook from school and I started writing down every time someone would call me gay or some sort of adjacent word that I probably can't say on here. Um, and I like started filling it up to be like, these are the, this is what's happening. But it honestly lasted less than a week because <laughs> the pages are filling and I couldn't keep discreetly writing it down. My friend caught me writing it and was like, what is this? Um, so uh, I just was very much aware. And I remember like harmless things. I remember my, in, in shul, I was biting my nails with like, I must have had like my hand on my hip and biting, and I, I think I was maybe like nine or 10 or maybe a bit older. And my older sister with like the best intentions in the world was like, don't, don't sound like that. You'll look gay. Like she was scared that people might think I was gay and she will probably have no memory of that. But like that, I remember that so clearly just because yeah. that's what, that's what you, that's just what you hear from society. So you just sort of want to be anything but that. When did the idea or the concept of like homosexuality enter your worldview? Do you remember that? In terms of like acceptance for myself? No, in terms of like the idea that Someone men can, can like other men and there's a word for it. And <laughs> yeah, I think probably, I don't know, sort of early teens. I was very much an in, like not innocent, but sort of 
um, yeah, maybe maybe an innocent child. Like I was very not tuned into like any sort of adult world when it came to sex or sexuality. And and I think maybe a, fr- a friend had a gay uncle or something. It was always sort of, and this is what used to terrify me even into my early 20s is it was always like someone's gay this. It was like a bit of a joke. And, oh, you know, because that generation, they're a confirmed bachelor and that just means they're just sort of living a really unhappy life, which is just so terrifying and sad. Um, so that, I think, was my first sort of introduction to what gay is, and, and, and that is not um, something I ever wanted to associate with. Uh-huh. Because I always wonder... It's almost like these like, concepts sort of appear in our lives without us Ooh. really knowing when. And I have... I have a few friends who the first time that they heard about um, like a woman marrying another woman, they were able to point to that moment and be like, that's where I realized what I wanted and what I was. Um, Whereas for me and for a lot of people, I think there's this sort of weird osmosis where the concept is there, but there's a disconnect between like. Yeah. And that's, that comes from fear from, from everyone else. I mean, I, yeah, I knew it was there, but I just did not want to be a part of it because it just, I didn't want to be alternative. What teenager wants to be different? I just was like, no, 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 no. I want to be like everybody else um, and be normal, um, which obviously didn't happen in the end. <laughs> but um, at the time, it was very much like a, like, a, like a black and white thing for me. Okay, so you're in high school um, and you're making this list of... Uh, behaviors that you should be avoiding and you're trying to not act too gay um, without Mm -hmm. really touching the question of whether or not you actually are gay um what happens next um it's so strange because in high school like in high school I was sort of this sounds really big-headed but I think quite maybe medium popular with the girls in terms of like we would we would always be getting with it every weekend we'd be getting drunk and get and kissing each other and people were doing a lot more than that and I was never and people were doing a lot less than that but I was always just even just with my friends who I just like get drunk and, and kiss each other um <clears throat> and and there was this and there were a few girls that I really fancied or thought I don't know what that means now but you know at the time really fancied I think and actually knowing I was coming on here I was trying to think of like a time where there was in real life a boy aside from that builder when I was you know eight or nine years old and again when I was in year nine so I don't know if I'm getting this correct but maybe 15 mm-hmm. we went on a school trip to Israel and we were like paired off into random groups to stay in rooms. And I was paired off with this boy who I didn't really know. Um, and I remember we had the, we had one key for the door and he wanted to go off because it was these, I think some like older American girls in the hotel that like him and these boys wanted to like try and show up in the room. <laughs> and we we're arguing over this key. And I remember it because I grew up with sisters. So I never really had like physical fights with people. And we like, wrestled for this key and it got like and, and it's so weird to remember it now because I totally forgot about it until this morning when I was thinking about it um and we like ended up like from the bed 
we were like wrestling and then we fell into the bath and it was like i mean very homoerotic now it's really it sounds like this like some really uh yeah it sounds crazy but i remember at the time i think i think there was like a, a moment like a pause where we both looked at each other and i was like what what is this and I, he i don't know if he was the sort of guy who would just probably he would kiss a boy and fit think nothing thing of it i mean i don't know what we're not in contact anymore he's probably um very much sort of with with girls now but there was like a split second when i was like whoa what is this and so i think that was the first time and again maybe i've got a bad memory but i just forgot about that totally until today um but aside from that it was very much kissing girls until i was about 18 <laughs> yeah okay so what happens at 18 you're done with high school. Uh, Where do you yeah, go next? So, so um, what happened uh, was um, there, there was this sort of religious charity um, that's sort of quite well known. It was really, really big in Manchester when I was sort of 17, 18. I think it was actually really big a few years before. I think we sort of missed the golden age. But they would come into school, do like lunch and learn lessons, and then the big trip. So we'd get to go to New York for basically free but like the prices, you have to listen to some some sort of Jewish talk every every morning, and then you get to go and go to the Empire State Building and go on a speedboat around the Statue of Liberty and all these incredible things. So my friends all did it when I was in when I was seventeen, but I didn't go, and they all came back, and some came back a bit religious, some didn't. So the next year, me and a few other friends who hadn't gone the first time, we went, and. I had the best time, absolutely loved it. And I think I definitely was was affected by it. Uh, in hindsight, I think I was sort of a bit of a, uh, just the, peop- the sort of person they were looking for, just sort of a bit lost and susceptible to these different things. And a lot of what they said really made sense. Um, and I, I don't, you know, a lot of people have a lot of ill feelings towards um, this organization but I, I don't I mean a, a little bit I do but I had a really great time and a lot of the things made sense uh, obviously in hindsight we were 17 and 18 and that's still a child and that's a whole other conversation um but I definitely started thinking more about well do I want to be religious what you know the whole sort of future of the Jewish people and you know they, they sort of try and scare you into all these different things at the same time there's my sort of desire to want to be normal and marry a Jewish girl and all this sort of thing. Um, but then interestingly, like alongside this, between the ages of sort of 18 to 22, a friend of a friend and I ended up in this very sort of weird, um, I don't want to say relationship because that's definitely, definitely very much of an overstatement, but we like start talking a lot and, um, maybe like three or four, maybe three times over four years did we actually sort of meet up and like explore like actual physical things. Um, But it was very much like a four year on and off thing, which was like my first ever, I hadn't even had a girlfriend, but but that was all alongside me trying to be religious. And and thinking about it now, it's so strange and, 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 and unbelievable that these two things could coexist. But in my head, it was just like, well, this is this is what everyone goes through. Like, this is normal, right? Um, 
Can you, yeah. can you go a little bit deeper into both of those things? So this program that you go on in New York, mm-hmm. um, you said that you come back thinking more about like whether or not you want to be religious, but what is that? What does that look like? So, so like I said, my, my, my whole family, it's tradition. It's not full orthodoxy. So it was more like, okay, well, maybe I will start going to shul every week and start thinking about the reasons why I'm going to shul, maybe start doing extra studying. A lot of my friends were doing it. So again, I was very much not an independent person back then. I just did what anybody else was doing without thinking, really. <laughs> um, so I was following my friends a lot of the time. Um, I wanted to eat kosher. So like my parents, we have like milk and meat plates. Then we also have the takeaway plates. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm not having that anymore. And, and actually my mum was quite scared because she'd heard a lot of horror stories of these boys who come back from New York and then they eventually don't eat in their parents' houses anymore because it's not kosher enough for them. And I think she was worried about that because to be honest, there, there was... It didn't ever get there, but it was sort of getting on its way there. And a lot of my friends were becoming like Shama Shabbat, Shama Nagia, like all these different things that me and my friends beforehand, would never, we never even knew the concept of Shama Nagia. Like it wasn't on our radar at all. Um, and I remember my mum actually once joked to me, she goes, do you want to go go Shams because you're, because you, um, because you're secretly gay? Like, just like some blase comment, and I was like, uh, uh, no. <laughs> and again, she won't remember that, but um, uh, the answer, I guess, was, yeah, I never actually became Shamanagi. I never got that far, but, um, so yeah, it was more, and also just getting really involved with the community. Like I say, Whitefields was very much community vibe, um, but, and, and again, I'm only speaking for me. I don't want to speak for any anyone else, any community, but for me, Whitefield was like secular Jews, and then there's Presswich, which is sort of next to Whitefield, which is much more religious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd spend a lot more time in Presswich, especially over Shabbos. I would stay with families. And my mum was just scared that I was like, she was like losing me to this. Going to go off the deep I end. guess from the outside. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I would spend day, like days with these, with these people. And, and that's why I, I, I did love that. I loved the community. I loved that whole thing. The only thing I hated was still going to shul. <laughs> I still just never connected. Firstly, I was really insecure about not being able to read Hebrew properly. Um, so like if I got called up, it was like the scariest thing in the world. Um, but also I grew up with sisters. I'm obviously gay, which I know now. Um, like I have mostly female cousins, um, lots of female friends and, and the whole sort of separation in, in sort of the religious world made me feel very uncomfortable. And um, so I hated that side. So like sometimes I would stay with a really fun family in, in Presswich the men would go to shul and I'd just stay behind with the girls and I'd be talking over like the crumbs of Shabbos lunch on the table. And that whole side of it, I just absolutely loved because everyone was nice and everyone had to be nice because you can't be horrible to people. You can't gossip about people. You can't speak Lush and horror. So it, it felt like a really safe space, which obviously is idealistic and it's not, was not the case. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think that's, that's, what, that's like, the lived experience it. of especially young people um mm. in in the from world yeah there is something exactly. really idyllic about it but then but then um that was over a period of four years but it wasn't four years straight it was um i was in and out a lot mm-hmm. and then again with this boy that i have this thing with again that wasn't four years straight that was in and out um 
what were so you guess, doing at this point in your life? Were you in uni? Were you? So yeah, it was, it was from university. So I was at uni for four years. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, from, I went straight from the New York trip into university. Mm-hmm. And then for four years I was religious and I was not religious. I was with seeing this boy and I was not seeing this boy and all together, um, all these different things. Cause also it was university. So I was going out a lot um, kissing a lot of people, <laughs> all girls. Um, and yeah, it was really fun. I had a great time at university, but then the religious side sort of became more and more prominent um, up until the final year of uni when I didn't even used to go, cl- I didn't even go clubbing in the end because I used to like wear a guitar and, but I'm living with like proper secular, like everyone else is secular. I mean, it's, it's so wild to think about now. There was a support system though. There were, there were rabbis and Robertson's in, Robertson in, um, in Birmingham who I was who were close with, there's a number of them actually, as I was there for four years. And I was sort of close with that side of the community. But again, I, did, I wasn't friendly with any of these boys. I didn't know them. Uh, um, so it was always that sort of, um, I don't know, I, I, I would force myself to go because that's what, that's what was right. But um, when I was there, I actually hated it, um, but I'd never let myself admit that I was hating it. So then what was motivating you? You said that you thought it was right. Um. Uh, because I, I was terrified of being gay. So I was like, well, I'll get this, I'll get to this level of religious so I can marry a girl on the same level as me who is, who is um, maybe Beltruva as well. And we can just sort of live this life together where we get married and we have kids and, and I'll be free from this like, fear of, of being gay, which obviously um, it didn't work out in the end. But I used to, I mean, again, I read about this, it's really the things I would think I, to sort of in my head, I was like, well, I'll meet this girl, I'll get married to her and then maybe she'll get really sick and then she'll die. And then everyone will feel sorry for me. And then I won't have to remarry and I can just sort of lit and everyone will just be like, well, he can't be gay because he married this woman. And God, unfortunately she died, but... <laughs> And then he'd be left alone, which is so, I mean, so morbid. And and some people laugh at that and some people are like, whoa. And, well, and it is, it's both. It's it's crazy to think. It's it's absurd, but, but I think my, that it's, it's an absurdity that's born of the belief that there's only one way to live life. Yeah. And so if you're going to... Exactly try and exist within that system then you've got to find these little tricks anything that you can to to live a bearable existence and to sort of even to to be able to visualize some sort of future because otherwise if you can't see a future i mean it gets to it gets quite dark um so it was just sort of survival i guess it was like a coping mechanism um yeah you knew wild. that you didn't want to get married, though. Meaning, or that you didn't want to be married, I guess. I, I ne- See, I, I never really thought about the actual realities of being married because everyone around me, even though I was getting to sort of my early 20s, everyone around me was getting married. It's like, all my friends were getting married and it was so normal. And it seemed like, oh, like marriage is really easy. It's just like being friends with someone. Everyone's doing it. It can't be that hard. So I, I never really thought like that deeply into what marriage would look like um but yeah i i 
I remember like <laughs> I would play sort of Beyonce in the shower and then say to myself, well, enjoy this now because when you're married, you won't be able to play Beyonce anymore because you'll be married to a woman. And I, I, again, it's like, it's so stupid to think of, but I, I, that was like the way I would think on a daily basis. And, and, and I don't think I'm a particularly stupid person, um, but that's, that was my belief system when I was like 18, you know, legally an adult. Um, but that's what used to get me, that's what would get, get me through, through the, the days. Okay. And then at the same time, you're having this pseudo relationship um, with this guy. How are you mentally like making those two worlds meld? Well, they weren't. Um, you know, one was in the one was in public and one was totally in the shadows. And I think that is the reality for a lot of queer people sort of everywhere is that you're your exploration into sexuality is in is in secret, which is so unhealthy, because um, then you sort of associate that potentially for the rest of your life, and that's something you have to really uh, consciously be aware of and try and undo once you've come out, which is a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, it was totally in secret. No one else knew. No one else knows to this day. You know, he still I don't speak to him anymore, but he's sort of friends with, with certain friends of mine and. He's, you know, living a totally different life to me now. But we, I think, I don't know what his deal was. Um, I don't know what his sexuality is. It's not for me to say, but it was, I, I, again, sort of went along with it. It was always instigated by him. And looking back on it, I think it was probably more of a power thing for him than anything else. Because um, anytime he would text me, I would be like, yeah, I'll be there. Or, and when I try and text him, he, he'd ignore me for weeks on end and, it was very much sort of manipulative and and he would try and sort of embarrass me if we were together in, in, in groups he like would always ignore there was there was an event where we were together beforehand and then at the event he just totally ignored me the whole time as if he didn't even know me and i'm thinking two hours ago like we were right at my house um and that was really difficult for me to, you know, that was my first sort of, it wasn't a relationship by any stretch of the imagination, but that was my first sort of experience of, of, of being vulnerable with a person and for it to um, sort of feel so, um, so different on the outside when people were watching, I think actually had a really big effect on me. And, and I think still, I'm still sort of trying to figure out like how that, that affects me now when I'm sort of trying to date other people. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was very much in, in secret. And, and Coming out of that experience though, mm -hmm. um, where did that leave you? Um, it was difficult, I think, because I, I, I hadn't told, I couldn't tell anyone. Um, I was very close with a lot of people at university, my housemates, for example, and we would talk about everything. Like we were very open, <laughs> um, but I never, we never, I never spoke about that. I never told, I never spoke about my feelings about sexuality at all. So we could never speak about him. So again, it was very much just all on me to, to cope with. Um, so it left me feeling very, you know, sad and confused and um, sort of quite, quite desperate and feeling very alone. 
and you know and at the same time I was also going to yeshiva in the summer and winter holidays from uni I would go to Jerusalem and be in yeshiva and then be in that world which again, <laughs> compared to student accommodation in Birmingham was it, it, it may as well have been a different planet and 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 also yeah juggling that at the same time it just I, I was I was very very unhappy actually um looking back at the time I think I don't I don't think I understood how unhappy I was and I think that was probably for the best um but yeah looking back it was um quite horrific So what happens next? Um, so I, yeah, so I went to, um, to Yeshiva a few, a few times, which again, I, I hated. Um, I remember on day, I kept going back. And again, this is what I'm saying is, is that I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And every time I would go back, because that's what in my head, I was like, well, this is the life that you need to, you, this is your life now. Um, you know, seven o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, we're learning. And I just didn't care about any of it. I didn't connect to any of it. At 10 p.m., I would run to Waffle Bar and get that Wi-Fi and just try, <laughs> just do anything to connect to home because I just was so, um, I, I was just so unhappy. But I could never admit that. Um, so that was that. And then I, I eventually graduated uni and then moved home to Manchester. And then, you know, it's trying to get a job and then there's that, that whole thing. Um, you know, I'm 22 maybe at that point. Um, took me half a year to even get anything out, out from graduation. Uh, people, you know, you can't help but be like, well, this person's got a job and that person's getting married and, and all these different things. And I think during that period, and then I eventually got a job, which I didn't really enjoy, but it was a job. Um, for about a year and during that year people committed to their sort of lifestyle choices so those who wanted to move to London and have a great fun time did that those who were religious and stayed in Manchester and wanted to get married they did that and I was still sort of like had my feet in both worlds and wasn't moving forward in any world and so I decided to quit my life and go traveling by myself Oh, um, wow. Where to? So I started in America, did a road trip um, from New York to L.A. through the southern states. So like Memphis and um, Vegas and all the different places. Wow. New, Orle New Orleans was my favorite, the best place I've ever been to. Um, then I went to Fiji for a little bit. Um, and then New Zealand was sort of the, the main. I've stayed in New Zealand for half a year, lived in Wellington you know, had a life there, jobs, a house, then Australia, and then met my friend in Japan and then came home. But that was when I decided, that's when I came out basically during that trip. Okay, how did that happen? How do you go from like not even thinking about it to, to out? Yeah, so from graduation until I decided to leave, I was again, like very much chewing and throwing between being religious and being not religious. Some weekends I would go to Presswich and spend Shabbos with people and some weekends I would just stay at home and watch TV. And I actually, and again, I knew I was gay the whole time, but I think that, that, that as you get older, 
But as I got older, again, I can only speak for me, that sort of pressure cooker it can only go so, so high until it explodes. And I think I was really reaching that boiling point and my, my parents could see. And my mum my was like, when I told her I was going traveling, obviously neurotic Jewish mother was like, oh, but then she was also like, I can see that you need to, you need to do something like you need to, I can, I can see that you're not happy. Um, and I'd put on loads of weight at uni and I just was like really unhappy. And then, um, yeah, I just, it was just not a good time. So, um, and I think also I had graduated, my friends are all doing their thing. And I think that situation with that boy had, had just sort of ended, had fizzled out. So I didn't have any, anything else. So uh, yeah, I went, I went traveling and I remember thinking to myself, oh, I hope people aren't going to, aren't going to think that I'm going traveling just to sort of find myself and then come out again. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> but I didn't want, I didn't want, I just, I remember thinking, oh, I don't want to come out because of, I don't want to prove people right. I was always very, I never wanted to prove people right. So during those first three weeks in America, it was like an organized trip with these 12 people that I had never met. And we got, we were really, really close. I got really close with this one girl and we, um, we like became a thing because um, I said to myself, this is your last, this is your last chance to like be straight. Like the religious thing isn't working. Like this is your last chance. And, and we had a great time. Um, and, and, but it, it didn't feel, I just was thinking to myself, it didn't feel right. And I think crucially having that space, I didn't know anyone. Like there was not one person I knew. I remember the second day I was there, we were in Philadelphia. Everyone was getting Philly cheesesteak. And I, a sandwich and I ate it. And I remember thinking like, no one here realizes the significance of me biting into this cheese meat sandwich. Like for them, it's so normal. But for me, this is the biggest step for, step away from, from the life that I really thought I was gonna live. Um, and so then from then I was like, this is my sabbatical year. <laughs> I'm gonna try everything. And I did, I, I tried lots of different things. Um, from spring up. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was eye-opening. And, and again, like, it's, it's silly because I didn't grow up religious, but, like, I sort of made myself stay in this lane and then I was like, actually, no, this isn't for me. Um, so, yeah, I ended up in San, San Francisco. Um, and so that's when I was like, I'm going to go to, like, a gay, a gay bar and just, like, see, see what happens. And I went, I remember it was so underwhelming. I, I went, <laughs> well, f- firstly, I was really down because I'd been with these great people for three weeks um and then they'd all gone because the trip had ended and I was like well I'm in San Francisco now by myself like it's now or never like let's go to because again I'd, I'd been with this this girl and I was like doesn't feel right let's just try this no one's here no one's gonna know the whole time I was like what if someone does know though like I was looking behind me thinking this someone's someone's following me you know that whole paranoia I went to this gay bar and there was like two old men in it and I was like, oh, this isn't what I expected. And it was really, it was just not, it was really, it really burst the bubble. Um, but I think having those experiences, I just was able to come out to myself, which I think is a really huge step that people don't really talk about is coming out to yourself first. And I was like, okay, well, I think, I think I'm gay. And like saying it out loud. So, you know, when I was traveling New Zealand, made friends with the people that I knew I would never see again. So you can say whatever you want. 
and there's a lot of alcohol involved as well. So I'd get drunk and say, I made friends with this girl who was who was bisexual and just like very blase about life. And I told her that I was gay and she's like, oh, cool. And that was the first time I said it. And then from then it just sort of got easier as like the more oh. I spent in New Zealand. So that that was a big, a big time for me. And during this time, um, are you like in contact with people back home? Yeah, so I'm in contact with my parents and my grandparents a lot. Um and my friends, I, I I had one friend who I who actually I'm in her, uh, she, I'm, li- I'm living with her now, and, and another friend. Um, so we were in contact, and she was the first friend that I told the first friend from home that I told, because <laughs> we have we have a very open friendship, uh, and we tell each other everything uh, that most friends maybe wouldn't. So I was telling her, like, oh, I met someone. I was in Auckland in a hostel. I met this boy who was really, really good looking. And he wanted to go on a date with me. And I was telling her about this person. It was always this person and them and this person. And then she was like, let me see a picture. And da, 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 da. And I kept putting it off. And I just said to her, I have things to tell you. And she thought I'd got someone pregnant. Like, she was, <laughs> she was like, wow. what is it? You're scaring me. And I was like, the girl from New Zealand the girl from Auckland is a boy. And she was like, okay, okay. And then after that initial shock, she was like, okay, well, send me a picture. And it was just like, you know, and we, so she was the first person and it was a really great reaction. Um, but no, I didn't, the question, I think what you're getting at is no, I did not tell my parents whilst I was away. Um, the, it got a bit more complicated because just when I was leaving New Zealand, I met this, this boy. Mm-hmm. The boy from Auckland? No, 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 no. A different boy so, from Auckland. <laughs> a different boy. Between him and them, there were, there were quite a few, not quite a few, because I know my parents didn't listen to this, but there were a few boys along the way who are like, you know, were quite sort of instrumental in, in me coming to terms with, with like the physical side of, of that whole thing. But I, it was like my, I had, I had booked a flight to leave to go to Australia. I had two weeks left in, in Wellington where I'd lived for, for half a year. And I went to the, the one gay bar in this, in Wellington. And my friend went, my friends went home and I was like, I'm staying out. I want to stay out. So I stayed out and then I bumped into this boy. Um, and we like chill. We just, it was just like stay, stay with each other. And then it's so, again, so crazy. So unlike me, cause I'm such like a, a planning type person, but, um, I, I moved into his house, to his house. Um, okay, and lesbians get a bad reputation <laughs> <I know. laughs> for moving quickly. I know, but, I'll but to be this. fair, <laughs> to, to be fair, I he came to my. I was living in this in this horrible bedsit. I had a mattress on the floor. Mm. I used to eat out of. I used to eat directly out of this horrible pan. Uh. And he said he came back. He, he saw it and was like, "You're moving in with me," and I was like, "Okay." Because he was a little bit older and I'd been traveling for quite a while by then and I just was like ready to just like be taken care of. And he had like a house and he was, had a job and he, he was a couple of years older. So he had his, his life together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we moved in and we spent like the past, the, the last two weeks together. And I was like, oh wow, like this feels weird. Um, ended up staying with his family in Australia. He came over um, to visit and, and yeah, basically stayed for six weeks with his, with his family. Um, and it's yeah, so very, very intense. And and again, like they were the first family to know that I was gay 
so that was the whole thing and not yeah. it, it wasn't the whole thing is that it wasn't the whole thing because they were just so so it wasn't a big deal I think, like on the inside it is a whole thing though it's right really monumental because there's yeah there are these different layers right where you sort of see yourself as your own identity but then there's your identity within society um mm. and your identity within the family group so so yeah it is a it's, thing yeah I, I, and i think the the people are saying with um the sort of the maternal figure michelle she was still very much in contact um today she was very maternal i mean she she wasn't even that much older than me she's maybe like eight years older than me but she has kids and everything so um and and we would talk when the kids went to bed and her husband went, went upstairs we would talk for hours being like what will, what will my parents say like she was sort of helping me come to terms with like what will people say uh, and she was helping me through and then yeah then i left it was very emotional very emotional saying goodbye to to him and also to them met my friend in japan told her i was gay which took me hours and she was just like just say it she knew what i was gonna say and um, then i came home and then that's when the fun really begins <laughs> okay yeah. let's dig in i came home my sister my younger sister she lived in london by then so she came to manchester for the weekend so i was thinking right it's like i landed on a friday morning that friday night my grandparents coming right around for dinner everyone's gonna be there i was like this is it telling everyone oh wow crucial to the story i was still with this boy in new zealand right um, <laughs> whilst living in england and there was the whole like shall i move back to new zealand this whole thing um but when i when i came home my it turns out my grandma was was really unwell which i hadn't been told about um so she wasn't at dinner and um, she was i think in hospital and um, so the mood was very low I mean, they were happy to see me, of course. They hadn't seen me for a year. But I was like, okay, well, this has ruined my plan totally. I can't tell anybody. Um, so I was very, very sad. I mean, I was sad because I'd just come back from traveling and I was spending a lot of time in my room, which I, I never did. I was never one of those teenagers who spent time in their room or in bed. Like, I, I'm not that sort of person. I need to be out and about doing things, even if I'm really sad. Um, so my mum came up and she was like, like what's, what's wrong? Like, I can tell something's wrong. But I, I couldn't tell her. So then me and my younger sister, we drove to go for lunch and we had a conversation and I think she, I said, I don't know if I told them that I met someone. I don't think I had, um, but she made a joke being like, oh, is it a boy or something? And I was like, ha ha, I'll tell you later or whatever. Went to go see my grandma who I hadn't seen for the year and she um, wasn't very well. And um, again, that whole, in my head, I was, we were very close and I was very excited to see her and it wasn't what, what I was expecting. So it just really threw me. Um, so then I had to drive my sister back to the train station. It was Sunday, I hadn't told anyone. And I was like, well, that's it. Like the moment's gone. And, and I was driving actually past my grandparents' house and I just started crying and crying. And my sister, my little sister Katie, she was like, what, like, what is it? Like, what's wrong? And I was like, you were right yesterday. She's like, what, what do you mean? And I was like, it's a boy like it's a boy and she's like what and then we had this whole conversation whilst, whilst i was driving which is quite helpful because it was a good way of sort of keeping my mind off things and i remember she said this to me and i always think about this and she, again something she wouldn't remember but she said to me um you know i always 
thought there was something missing with you. Like it, it makes sense now. And that really clicked. I was like, uh, like, yeah, that really clicked for me. And we had, it's very emotional. And she said to me, you have to tell mom, like you have to tell her you're not giving her enough credit. Like she, she'll be fine. Like you have to tell her. Were you concerned I, that your parents wouldn't be okay? Well, it was two things. I was, I was scared because my mom was really, really not herself because she was scared that her, her mom was about to, to die. And also like, even though my parents have brought me up with like fairly modern views, there's just always that part, that part of you that's like, well, what if? And I remember when I was in Australia, I had the dream that I told my parents and they kicked me out. And I was so scared that that was going to happen. But anyway, uh, I, I went home, went, went upstairs. My mom came in my room again and she, I said to her, we, we were crying on the bed. And she said, I said to her, something happened in Wellington. Not a good line, by the way. <laughs> not, not, don't recommend saying that to any mother, especially a Jewish mother. Right. Because yeah. then she thought, she her mind went wild. She was like, Like, well, had you what? killed a man or something? <laughs> exactly. She thought something, t- so she like grabbed my hand and she was like, what like no like you have to tell me now like now I'm now I'm scared and I said I met someone in New Zealand and she's like okay and I was like it's a boy which again really helpful because the word gay was so hard to say up until maybe like two years ago and it had been years since so that whole mitigation of having to say that word really really helped so I'd recommend that if anyone's listening um and she was like okay um and, you know, she was crying and she was like, was, was, was more crying because she felt bad that I'd gone through all this without telling her. Um, and then she said, I'm sorry, mum, but I'm going to embarrass you. She said to me, you know, it's very fashionable to have a gay son. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like I'm some sort of the latest handbag. I'm like, okay, cool. Thank, thank you, mum. And then she's like. That's perfect, though. That's a fantastic. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, looking back, I, I shouldn't have expected anything else. I mean, that's just her through and through. And then she said to me, do you want me to tell your dad for you? And I was like, yeah, because I was really scared of telling my dad. Um, so she went downstairs and I could hear like this muffling, crying from her. Um, and then he came upstairs, came into my room and he just sort of went to the window and looked out because I've got this really nice view of like the Manchester skyline. And he just, he said... Um, you know, I'm not a talker because he, he is not a talker. And he said, um, <laughs> but you know that I always, like something like, you know, I'll always love you and I'll always be proud of you and like all these things. And, and that for him was, was big because he's not particularly, mm. didn't show his emotions. Um, and then I told my other sister and then I was, I said to my mom, like, tell her you want, like, I'm not doing this again. Okay. So then she told everyone. And um, yeah, she told everyone, she told my grandparents, which I, <sighs> I have sort of mixed feelings about. Um, only because everyone was absolutely fine with it. No one really cared, which is actually what you want. Right. My, gran- my grandma, um, so my mum my was like, my mum straight away was like, let me see pictures of you and this boy. Let me see all the pictures. So I showed her a couple of pictures and she loved them. So she was showing them. She, she went to my grandparents' house and she was like, do you want to see the pictures of, of them together? And my grandma said she didn't want to see them, mm-hmm. which... Again, she was she was dying. She was tired. I don't have I don't hold that against her. Um, um, my grandpa on the other hand was like, yeah, uh, you know, he was. Well, I think he probably thought it was a phase. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but um, he he was pretty pretty unbothered. 
Um, but apart from that minor blip with my grandma, everyone was totally fine. Um, <laughs> this is really awful to say, but she actually passed away very, very shortly after. And the, the sort of family joke is that I, I finished her off with, with my news. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then I moved back to New Zealand to be with this boy. Uh, which which was a big learning lesson because I um we lived together. Um, he lived in the suburbs. When I was in New Zealand the first time, I was very independent. I lived in the city, had my own money. This time I was like forty minutes out. I didn't have a car. Um, my visa wouldn't let me get a job. So I just and he worked in the defense force. So he was doing like sixty hour weeks. So I never saw him and I was like, I was like, oh shit, like this is a mistake, Um, which was horrendous because I didn't want to hurt him. But uh, I was like, I've made a huge mistake. And so after uh, we decided it would be best for me to go back. So that was my first relationship that sort of ended before it really began. Sort of, sort of began in a very intense way. And then Mm -hmm. I moved back for, I moved to New Zealand for a few months and then just came back and yeah, but it sounds like it was, was the catalyst cool. for for a lot in your life. I mean, it was the be- it was the beginning of everything, and I'm I'll always be grateful for that. And I don't want it to seem like it was sort of um, it was sort of something that I had to do and then move on from. Because at the time, I thought that was that this is it. But also, I was 24. My first relationship with a boy, he was older, and I'm ready to sort of settle down. And I was like, I can't. It's not. I just came out like so I decided to move home then I moved to London and then that, that yeah things things got a lot more um interesting I guess sort of you know more fast-paced and you know, London life and all that stuff so the one thing that I'm curious about from that last chunk of your narrative is you know, what happened to the to the voice in you that was saying, like, you need to go to yeshiva, you need to get married? Like, did that just disappear? Or how, yeah. how did it evolve? I think that's really interesting. I used to refer to it as, like, the cloud, like this, this cloud over my head, this voice. And I don't think it ever disappeared. I think it just changed into something else. So when I eventually did come out, it changed more into, okay, I'm gay, but I don't want to be this type of gay. So I was still controlling myself, putting myself in this box and very like, was very sort of defensive when people were, would say things mm-hmm. and be like, I'm not going to be that sort of gay who's going to like, you know, talk about boys with you. And I was very like still scared. Um, but now I, the voice is still there. I think, but I think that exists for everyone. I think, um, it's just much quieter now. Um, and I think, I just think it's obviously a manifestation of, of anxiety or, or whatever it may be. Um, it used to be my whole, whole life and now it's like a, a small, it's a small whisper instead of like a, a scream. Um, but, but yeah, and I think um, when it comes to sort of confidence generally, um, I think it's not something you you have and then have forever. It's, you know, 
one day you're confident and one day you're not and that's fine um, mm-hmm. it's, you're working on that forever and the same with acceptance and and this past year I mean I'm 28 now so this is all years ago and this past year has been really instrumental in, in me really accepting being gay uh, not being apologetic not no not 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 limiting myself and like the struggle should end when you come out, but it kind of starts. It didn't start, but it became a new struggle. Um, and I didn't, I was like, what, what is the point of coming out if it's just going to still be difficult? So <laughs> I think COVID like gave you that time, gave me that time to sort of read a lot of gay history and I became angry about things. And I was like, I don't care if you are uncomfortable with me being gay. Like I, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like look what, look what has happened in the past. Like I'm not going to be part of, um, I'm not going to do anything to make you feel more comfortable, and, and, I, and, and I'm still, I'm still like that. Um, and a lot of my writing is, is focused on that. Um, so yeah, I think that, to answer your question, the voice is still there, but it's now more of like a, a quieter voice, and also it's more of like a, a drive. It sort of drives me forward, and I'm, I'm become sort of this sounds so cheesy, but like become friends with it as opposed to it being this like absolute fear that it's going to ruin my life. That's great. <laughs> really. Thank you. Are you still, um, I guess, friends with the, those folks in Presswitch? Um, not really. Um, no, I, I would say no, we don't, we don't keep in touch anymore. Um, mm-hmm. There's maybe one or two people I'm still really good friends with my friends who became religious mm-hmm. um, and stayed religious. I'm still good friends with them. We're, you know, we live very different lifestyles, but we still manage that friendship. Um, but no, the sort of the people that I met along the along, yeah, the people that I met along the way have sort of fallen fallen to the sides a little bit. Which, yeah, you know, that happens in life. I don't think I don't take it. I don't take it personally. It's a two way street. They have they have their own lives, so. And if you could give advice to a 13-year-old kid who's in B'nai Kiva and, you know, living life, trying to figure themselves out, yeah. what would you say? I think two things. Sorry, I'm a bit of a waffler. But the first thing is when it comes to, to being gay, for, what helped for me was taking myself out of the situation and being somewhere else. So traveling, if I hadn't have gone traveling, I don't know what would have happened. Of that space free of judgment free of explicit judgment but also like the covert messaging that you get from everyone around you to be able to fully be me and come to terms with it and that is a, a long process which is still happening and will probably happen forever so like being aware of that as well um, but also in terms of judaism i i had a zoom call with adam is an activist in new york um who is like religious but like very gay <laughs> uh, very queer and I said to him um I said because 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 he's he's been able to reconcile being gay and being Jewish and for me it's much harder not necessarily the texts but more like the people and no, I can't go to shul anymore like it's very I can't do that I don't want to I don't feel like it's a safe space for me um so I said to him how do you how do you reconcile that and he said to me which is the advice I want to give other people is make your own lane, make your own lane of Judaism, 
and then fall in love with that. Whether that's just the traditions, that's okay. I mean, again, the voice in my head from when I was religious that says the people who do that are the reason why Judaism is dying. You know, when I was religious, I was like, the people who are who are traditional, that's going to die with them. And I still have having that knowledge is 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 frightening that they think that of me now, like I'm the enemy. But I'm taking Adam Eli's advice, and and I think it's really beautiful. Is that I'll take what I like out of Judaism, and that's what I'm going to keep for me. Because I think religion is very personal. I mean, being raised in organized religion, it's all very much a community thing, and we all do things together. But I think it's a very personal thing, and you shouldn't feel any type of way if you connect with just one part of it um, or a part of it that other people don't. So if, for me, watching Fiddler on the Roof makes me feel really Jewish, then so be it. Um, that's what I connect with, and that's what I want to pass down to my children. Um, hopefully they, you know, hopefully that will happen. Um, and then the religious people can continue that part of Judaism as well. So I think you know, they, can, they can go side by side. Shivim Panim Latorah. Toast my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to add, Josh? Anything we didn't cover? Um, I just think... Uh... No, I, I think that's it. I think, like I said before, people are still going through some horrendous things in, in religious communities. Um, I want to make it sort of my sort of one of my life's missions to to help that, um, but also to remember that things are changing and um, there are positive stories. And I really want to share that my I was really lucky, um, and I hope that one day it's not luck and it's just like the way that things are. Um, and, and and I want to sort of be part of that conversation. And, and I really hope that people feel um, that they can be brave enough to like live to live how they want to live uh, based on what what I'm doing but also what you're doing what everyone here is doing um, and hope that you know in the future we won't have this struggle anymore um, so yeah I think that's it sorry that was what a cheesy ending yeah, sure. that's a great one. <laughs> thank you thank you so much thank you for having me that concludes today's episode we want to thank Josh again for being so generous with his time and for sharing his story with us. If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if there are any topics that you'd like to see covered, please reach out to us by visiting queeryid.com.